It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Is this the worst Vikings defense we've ever seen on paper? I'm Luke Braun of Locked On Vikings, and I'm extremely excited to go down the memory lane of despair. <laughs> this is Arif Hassan with Pro Football Network, and I have offered to destroy Luke's plateware. We'll explain exactly what that means next on the Minnesota Football Party. Locked On Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Happy Monday. It's a new week here on Locked On Sports Minnesota and the Minnesota Football Party. Sam, Luke, and Arif, three podcasters converging to talk Minnesota Vikings football for the next 45 minutes or so. We're so glad you've joined us today. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, Locked On Sports Minnesota. It is free to get the videos, and it's free and available wherever you find your podcasts as well. Amazon Fire and Roku, the Locked On Sports Minnesota app, is another great way. And now the Sirius XM app, all of the Locked On Sports Minnesota programming. So check that out as well. We're brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of Locked On. Make every moment more at fanduel.com slash locked on to get started today. June 5th, today's date, the offseason motors on OTA week number three this week. Among the topics today, Dalvin Cook remains just a big mystery, big question mark. What are the Vikings going to do with him? The reports have been that a move is imminent, uh, but it appears like that move is maybe not as imminent as we thought. Dalvin Cook uh, could be traded, could be cut. Could he even show up to mandatory minicamp next week? Uh, when is this all going to come to a head? We continue to discuss the Dalvin Cook saga. Um, is this the worst Minnesota Vikings defense we've ever seen on paper? We'll debate that. And I've got a former Vikings whip around for you guys. Some headlines around. around Minnesota Vikings that have moved on this offseason. So all that coming up on today's show. Let's get into the, the meatiest uh, headline, and that's Dalvin Cook. The, the leaks are coming out. I mean, the heavy hitters, it's the Jeremy Fowlers, the, the Adam Schefters. They're all teasing it. It's like they know, but they won't tell us that Dalvin Cook's release appears to be imminent or a trade, whatever that might be. The Vikings are being patient. They're holding the cards. They want to make sure they get something for Dalvin Cook. Uh, teams are apparently willing to spend on Dalvin Cook when he becomes a free agent, but not before then. Um, so is there a path here where Dalvin Cook just shows up and, and calls the Vikings bluff and says, hey, guys, here I am at mandatory minicamp. Yep, let's go. Let's run this KOC offense. We're going to run the ball more this year. All right, offensive line. Here we go. Let's block. Let's block. Hey, Alexander. Hey, nice backup contract there. Two years, $7 million. In this economy, great job. Awesome. Hey, Ty, 
Hey, Kenne. <laughs> Running back three battle. Hey, I love it. I love the Anybody hear about that Debo. war in Oceania? <laughs> <laughs> we've Certainly always been nothing piece, to see here. We've always been a piece of Oceania. We're at war with East Asia. Uh, is that so is the, today? <laughs> have I laid out an accurate scenario? Uh, I, I hope reef. he shows up to camp sarcastic in every drill. If you can run a drill sarcastically, I would love for him to do it. Uh, <laughs> but like mechanistically, he should show up to minicamp first to avoid fines, right? Because mandatory minicamp is subject to fines. But second, because it increases the Vikings trade leverage, right? The more that they can convince other teams that Dalvin Cook returning is a viable option at some price, right? You know, it wouldn't be this one. Um, the more there's another, you know, player on the market and, uh, the more that that increases his value, right? If Miami is like, Hey, we'll trade you a six round pick for him. The Vikings are like, we could just keep him. We're not going to do this for a six round pick a sixth and a seventh. Yes, but not a sixth, right? <laughs> like, I think, I think if you add the number of potential buyers, which includes the Vikings, that's going to be a good thing for Minnesota, uh, for Dalvin, obviously it allows him to avoid any appearance of a fine. Uh, and also, um, it, his own leverage will go up because part of the uh, the trade negotiations are contract negotiations. And so if he can go to Miami and say, hey, the Vikings are offering me, you know, $8 million a year, you're going to have to do a little bit better than that. Um, that's going to help him too. So I, I just think that just generally speaking, it would be good for him to show up. It'd be weird. If he holds in. Does he get fined? Is that, I don't know how that works. It's the whole point of a hold in. Nice. That feels like the move then. Show up, don't do anything, don't get injured, but don't get fined also. Yeah. It's kind of like Jimmy, right? Like Jimmy, I mean, it wasn't even a hold-in, right? Because he wasn't like protesting. The 49ers were like, you are not practicing. Show <laughs> yeah. up. You are not practicing. Show up, but you're not doing anything. <laughs> I, I, I would right. predict Dalvin Cook is not going to see a microphone. The Vikings are going to make sure Correct. Dalvin Cook is oh. insulated. Can he, though? Truth to all rumors, Dalvin Cook. <laughs> <laughs> man uh i don't know i mean i think i, I think it, if he shows up i don't know if we see him i i'm just i'm i'm so like you unless... might get a pic of him on like sweats chit-chatting with like cj ham and alexander madison which would be fine yeah uh yeah th- like do that there is a new parody song i believe it dropped today i don't know what clever person made it but it's Hamilton. It's the first song oh. of Hamilton with Dal- for with Dalvin yeah. Cook singing it. That was um, the Madison. first joke I made when Alexander Madison got drafted. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. sounds about right. Impression. I'm pretty sure I've tweeted that like three times. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, like, lyrically, it's really good up there with Luke Braun's um, Bo Burnham parody. Oh, boy. I mean, not not there, not to those heights, but close. I haven't I haven't seen it. So I saw the Madison thing hit my feet. I didn't actually play it. Did not know about Luke Braun's Bo Burnham parody. You can go to the Lockdown Vikings YouTube channel. It has been. I can. I won't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, um, Arif's going to ruin uh, Luke Braun's. What did you say? Flatware. Plateware. Find plateware because yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah Luke Braun has a wedding venue. An undisclosed yep. wedding venue. An undisclosed disclosed my wedding yeah. venue. <laughs> wedding venue in an undisclosed location. Yeah. Run run by the most has been person I've ever heard of. Love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Does he watch the Very show? Very excited. Can we talk about him openly? No, we don't have to. Please um, do. Not. Please do. Not. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so that's fun. Very excited. Yes, as are we. Um, Dalvin Cook is linked to the Miami Dolphins. Geographically, this is an obvious good fit for Dalvin Cook. He's a Florida guy through and through. I think he off-seasons there pretty much the whole yeah. off-season. Uh, Raheem Mostert, not the healthiest guy in the world as uh, as your RB1 there. Just like Dalvin, let's be honest. Uh, yeah, no, that you're not wrong about. No, that. he had his shoulder. He had his surgery. It's over, Arif. It's done with. It's so, in the past. We're good. The the invincibility surgery that he had was a great success. Please he no longer ask has to Ian Rappaport to tweet that the be tackled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, his agent said um, that that his numbers are down because he's always been just a little bit hurt and a little bit worried about getting hurt, and this year, not an issue. You know, he's completely healthy for the first time, just like Andrew Booth right before his his rookie year, healthy for the first time in his career <laughs> uh, and 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 capable of producing the numbers that made him such an exciting, uh, you know, player in the first place. So he's going to he's going to perform better than ever. Life. Best shape of his life. What what do you think, Dalvin Cook? Because I see a lot of people, maybe the I would call them uninformed people who say, man there's a top five running back hitting the market. Where, where do you think Dalvin cook actually ranks NFL? Well, I don't, I don't think Derek Henry's on the trade market anymore. I don't know where they're getting that. <laughs> no, uh, Not the snark level is unbelievable <laughs> for a Monday morning. Well, I, well, we, we got, we got primed in the pre-show. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, so like the thing is Dalvin cook, when he's healthy is a very talented running back, but there's like a couple of things you have to take into account, obviously the injuries, but also just generally speaking, running backs fall off a cliff a lot faster. Um, if you were to name the top five running backs in the NFL right now, assuming everyone was fully healthy, I don't know that Dalvin cook would show up, right? Because you've got Nick Chubb and Christian McCaffrey and Derek Henry automatically, right? I think that those are ahead of cook. Uh, and then you have to figure out if Bijan is in that list, because I think that if you're trying to like fantasy guys certainly think so, who knows if they're right, but that's an opportunity um, for somebody to, to hit the top five, maybe Jameer Gibbs, who knows, but then you have to add in like Austin Eckler. Right. And that's, I've already named seven. Right. Um, and mind you, Dalvin cook could be better than the rookies. I don't know, but um, I'm probably missing somebody. Right. Like, you know, what about Damian Pierce and Kenneth Walker? They could take the next step. It's really difficult for me to say with certainty, that Dalvin Cook would be a top five running back to have on your roster next year. Um, but he's good. You know, he's better than Raheem Mostert, right? Probably. Um, so, yeah, I, I I get where you're coming from, Sam. I think that you're correct um, in the most, like, technical sense. Uh, in, like, the vibe of a top five running back, yeah, I guess I can see where the And going. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying that's been discussed in the narrative around this, that there's a top five running back hitting the market. And I don't think there is. I'm I'm in agreement I, with I, you. I think if you if you give the consideration like everybody we guarantee their health and like that I feel like that takes away the biggest problem that Dalvin Cook and advantages him a lot. And I feel like you could make that argument. Well, well certainly I, I think it's it's unfair in favor of him. I would just right. say that's how people are kind of thinking about it. Yeah, and I so I think if you do that, you can make the the top five argument. But I also think that might be the wrong way to look at it because if you look at the two teams that we've heard the most about with Dalvin Cook, which I is forgot Miami about Josh and Buffalo, Jacobs. Oh my God! Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Go Josh on. Jacobs. Yeah. Um, but if you look at like Miami and Buffalo, he immediately wholly transforms the shape of those running back rooms, which is I think the way to look at it for those teams. And whether he's top five or top six or top seven or top eight, let the fantasy people yes. argue about that until they die. 
Yeah, and that's kind of what I was yeah. getting at with the vibe thing. Like, he's not a top five guy. But from a vibes perspective, you get it, right? Why you would say that when you're talking about the way it changes, say, the Buffalo Bills offense. And speaking of the Bills, I know that Jeremy Fowler mentioned that there were two AFC East teams that were in the hunt for Dalvin Cook. Um, so presumably one of them is obviously Miami. But somebody said, I've heard back, like, I don't know if this person's credible, so I'm not naming them. I have no idea. Um, but somebody was like, I've heard actually that Buffalo is not the other AFC East team, which to me would automatically make it the Patriots. No chances at the Jets, you know, with like Brees makes Hall kind of more sense to be the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, right. Because well, they've got like what Damien Harris, right? Or do they get rid of him? I don't know. The Patriots I have no idea deal. who's even on their team. The Patriots whole deal is like having another talented running back that can do a bunch of stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, certainly there's a couple of AFC East teams that we could see taking advantage of Dalvin Cook and certainly it would improve their offense in some way. Um, but yeah, uh, oh, Ramondre Stevenson. He's good. It was good. And last then, year. like Ty Montgomery and James Robinson. <laughs> yeah, it's Let, okay. Let's Actually, say it's the Patriots. Let's say uh, the Patriots. Patriots. You should absolutely <laughs> do this. Hey, Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, Ramondre Stevenson's good, but like at what he does, he should not yeah. be a th- now. <laughs> so they did get yeah, rid of David. Okay. All right. In, uh, in the 1%, yeah, like, did. I think we assume that the Dalvin cook probably goes to these teams and is the number one guy, at least mm-hmm. in terms of workload, um, whether that's 70%, 60%, 80%. Yeah. In, in the 1% chance that Dalvin cook comes back to Minnesota, does he automatically assume yeah the same type of workload as last year or is yeah. it does Alexander Madison see a dramatic increase the only scenario where and I understand I'm answering a lot of questions first sorry about that the only scenario where I see um Dalvin Cook coming back is is one where he takes on the majority of the workload because the Vikings would not turn down you know cutting him nor would they turn down um a trade offer just to make him a 30 percent back like, I, I think that that's like yeah, a 60% too significant a cost to not yeah. do that. Yeah. And you just had a lot of bluster about like Madison and all these other guys, but like, it's like a seventh round pick. And what is Alexander Madison making? Like, it's not even that much. So like three and a half it, it doesn't, year, right? Yeah. It, it like feels year a little weird because like we all got used to the idea of changed. Madison and the Madisonettes, but like, <laughs> like that's what we all got used to. But like, yeah. it'll take two seconds. We'll be like, okay, we're the Dalton Cook team again. Yeah. Yeah, I I would be I would mourn the uh the loss of a potential Ty Chandler or Kenny or Dwayne McBride inclusion into this cuz they like their roles would clearly be shrunk down to to something something non not meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um I guys, I will say this. I want the rotation. I really want the rotation. I want something new. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. We had a taste of it with uh with with Jarek and, and Latavius, and that was you know, that was fine. Um they were also forced into that, not yes. not by choice. Yes. Um I don't would forget, don't forget Matt Asiata. How could I? Was this oh, the um it. what Ben Tate the Ben Tate season? Oh oh my gosh. That was twenty sixteen, right? When like everybody got hurt. Yeah, well, because because there's we we should remember 
there was 2011 when Adrian Peterson got hurt, and we just we were like, oh, Toby Gerhardt's the guy that it was like a rotation. That stuff. was like the last two games that of the end like season. Really like, late. That was, and then well, and then there's like 2016, like you said, when everyone got hurt, right? Because Matt off three out of because he kept on getting three touchdowns. Yeah, that three t- three yards, three, three touchdowns. Yards. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like Ben Tate, that one was fun because I remember like watching him play once and I was like, man, I am really concerned about this guy's fumbling. And a bunch of people got mad at me because it's like his fumble numbers weren't actually all that bad at the time. And uh, and they're like, well, I mean, Adrian Peterson, you weren't concerned about his fumbling. And I was like, yeah, it's Adrian Peterson. <laughs> it's worth it, right? <laughs> I, like, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> but this is Ben Tate. And, and he held the ball out like three yards away from his body. And I was like, you. Like only Michael Vick can do that. You can't do that, man. I can't believe how uh, much you remember about Ben Tate. Well, it's because I remember my fights. That's ah, uh, and and then he like memory palace now. Right? Yeah. (laughs) And then he fumbled the next game. So anyway, that's my Ben Tate story. Ben Tate's stats with the Vikings: thirteen carries, thirty-eight yards, two point nine yards per carry, no receptions. Love Love him. He was great in Houston the year he took over for Arian Foster. 5.4 yards of carry. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Never reached those heights again. That was the peak. That was his Yeah, he got hurt a lot. Peak. He got hurt a lot. Yeah. Yep. Guys, I just, I want the, I, I think they've got a head coach who would know how to use a rotation well. I think that this offense can be kind of a line change offense where, okay, we're just going to bring on like new tight end, new running back. Let's get a new receiver on the field and mix and match the skill pieces a little more frequently. Okay. So, so this is, so I've got a couple of unrelated thoughts. I'm just going to dump one. um, I feel like uh, O'Connell and the Rams offense um, have struggled historically when they have been forced to use a rotation versus having a back that they like to lean on. And I'm remembering when Todd Gurley went down, um, they ended up just kind of going with CJ Anderson. That didn't really work out well for them, even though Anderson's numbers were good. The offense kind of struggled a little bit. Um, but also, as they were trying to figure out kind of the post Todd Gurley era, they were like, who's our guy? Is it Cam Akers? Right. And it just it didn't work out very well for them to try and figure out a way to do a rotation. Now, obviously, some of the McVeigh disciples have done all right at that. Like I'm taking a look at like Matt LaFleur and Green Bay, um, but that's like two really high investments at running back. So it's kind of a different, you know, deal. I'd rather take a look at the Shanahan school and see what they've been able to do with, you know, backup running back, seventh round running back, rotational running backs, because they've done it over and over and over again. Um, Mike, Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, um, they've done a really good job of it. I just don't know that the McVeigh people have, and it's it's kind of also difficult for me to believe that like Kubiak would do a poor job with the rotation. And I understand that he had like Arian Foster, that he had Dalvin Cook, that he had you know um, some bell cows to rely on. But to me, I think his pedigree speaks to being able to use a rotation a little bit better than actually O'Connell's does. Even though I respect O'Connell a lot, and I would imagine that you know he's got uh, some adaptability to him. So that's one. The second thought is you have to be kind of careful about this. And one reason that teams don't 
do this like line change, do this kind of rotation is that if you do it by series, which the Vikings used to do under Mike Zimmer is that they would substitute backs out by series, offensive series, and then keep the same back in, whether it was first, second or third down that created obviously some problems because you had some backs that were better suited for situational play that were now being asked to play all three downs. The alternative, however, means you lose your advantage of controlling tempo. Because when you substitute, it allows the defense to substitute. It takes more time. You don't have the ability to take advantage of like a situation that pops up. Like let's say you just get a big play. Um, you want to you want to go right away after a big play while the defense is on its heels. At least that's the orthodox thinking, and I think that it's you know a, a fair way of thinking about it. And so you don't want to substitute your players out. You're going to go uh, into no huddle, or if you have them in an advantageous personnel, let's say you've got, you know, your two tight ends set out there and they decide to stay in nickel. So you're just going to run it down their throat the whole time. Well, now you're in third and one and you've got Ty Chandler out there. What are you going to do? Right. And so you could substitute out and lose your no huddle. So there's like, there's, there's a push and pull with these things that makes it a little bit more difficult than to say, Mm -hmm. Hey, it's, it's, it's third and one, let's put Debo in there or Hey, it's second and six. We don't know if we need to pass protect from our back or catch or run. So we're just going to put or do everything Alexander Madison out there. You know, it it makes sense to do that when you kind of remove the down from the context of the game itself, but Inside the context of the game, there's a lot of sacrifices that you need to make that that's why teams go out of their way to grab uh, an every down back because it allows them to control um, the the pace of the offense in a way that puts them in complete control of, of everything that's happening on the field to the best of their ability. So there is a push and pull. It is actually a little bit difficult to use a committee if your backs have spe- specific skill sets that you want to cater to. So even if you do like a down series, right? You're going to want to say, hey, we've got Jarek McKinnon out there or Ty Chandler, right? All, this down series, we're going to throw the ball a little bit more than, he, than we normally would. Well, the opponent's going to key in on that, right? And so that's kind of what you have to uh, adapt yourself to. So that's that's my kind of two sets of thoughts on here, two completely unrelated. Hey, I don't know about O'Connell actually being an expert at this. And hey, we got to be careful about committees. There, there's yeah. something to this, too, with, with committees. It, it's kind of like, you know how if you have two quarterbacks – you don't have a quarterback. I feel like there's a little bit with running back. Like if you have a committee of running backs, it's because you don't have a dude that's worth putting in for all the, like that's worth being every down. And that's a much easier problem. to Cleveland solve disagrees. Quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> well, because oh, they had Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb for a long time. Oh yeah. A very normal situation. <laughs> <laughs> but like, a lot of times it's just because you don't have like with with the Rams situation. They just kind of didn't have a guy that made it worth it. And the Vikings without Dalvin Cook, maybe don't have a guy that makes it worth it. Although they will they will insist otherwise about Alexander Madison. We'll see. Um, but it's also, you know, if you have Dalvin Cook and then a whole bunch of like just a guys, you're not going to want to put the just a guys in just to mix it up. That feels like, hey, let's like throw Nick Mullins in for a snap just to mix it up. You know, just like let's get a little different. That I, I I feel like that might be shooting yourself in the foot just to be different. And I, I don't know. I, I understand at least the idea of, hey, this dude is the bell cow. He's going to be the starter. And it, as long as he's held, as long as he can play, he's going to be the starter. Um, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to. Yeah, but his shoulder is like currently made out of barbecue beef. Maybe we should let that rest. Uh, but that's always going to be a different thing that I can't really speak to because I don't. Yeah, I, I, all I, I can do is speculate on like what they've yeah. been willing to tell us about injuries and stuff. Yeah. We don't really know. And, and I will say, like, I don't want to like push back too much on the egghead consensus here. I do think that it is smarter for teams to go 
committee than bell cow but i am deeply sympathetic to why teams yeah in like a resource yeah. management way it's like yeah yes. well you don't have a running back but that's kind of fine like that's a solve right exactly problem. right yeah. and so it's like the magnitude of the issues that we're discussing here is relatively small when it comes to offensive design but it is something to consider no that's all really good stuff um a another positive vikings talker is this the worst defense they've ever had on paper We'll talk about that after I remind you that we're brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make a fast break to uh, the FanDuel Sportsbook app for the NBA Finals. Game three is on the horizon, and new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. Yes, $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. They've got other great promotions at FanDuel like Odds Boosters, Bet five, get 150 they've had recently. Uh, it's a safe and secure app that you get paid instantly when you win. No better place to bet the playoff action than at America's number one sports book. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get that no sweat first bet up to $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. It's FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right. Vikings defense. Let's just put frame it up big picture here. A lot of departure, a lot of turnover, a new scheme being learned for a defense that was 31st overall last year. In mm-hmm. yep. So if you take out the Brian Flores variable, which everybody's banking on, that is the Kind of the only thing that's going to save this. Personnel-wise, on paper, have we seen a more lackluster Minnesota Vikings defense than this? I'll wait. Uh, all right. Maybe you, um, maybe you have one. I, I'm, I'm going to go first because I know Luke is a little bit more schooled in, in Vikings history and what those depth charts might look like. The two that come to mind for me for worst defensive performances were 2013, which on paper actually looked a lot better. So I'll dispense of that. You know, it had like, you know, Jared Allen and Kevin Williams and like, you know, those guys were old though. Yeah, no, I know. But this is, again, we're doing on paper, right? And yeah, you can put aging curves on paper. Part of on on paper, yeah. Yeah, but like it is, I I think everyone expected that 2013 defense to be a lot better. So I think that going into the season, we were like, okay, yeah, Marvin Mitchell is your weak side linebacker, but like Chad Greenway, Aaron Henderson, Aaron Henderson had actually just come off of a really good year, right? You know, and then you've got like Jared Allen and Brian Robinson and Kevin Williams and, Hey, Chris Cook is just coming off of a good year. And Xavier Rhodes is a first round pick. He's going to play really well. You know, I I think Harrison Smith, right? I think that that defense is probably going to perform worse than this defense will. But I'm not going to say that on paper, that was worst defense. To me, very recent history, 2020 on paper, that defense looks bad, right? Yeah. Like, uh, so you got your starting defensive ends that on paper look good. Unique Ngakwe, Daniel Hunter. Again, I don't know if Neil Hunter will actually, you know, we didn't know at that point whether or not Neil Hunter would play. So on paper, he's there. He's playing, right? But the defensive tackles are Shamar Stephan and Julio Johnson. The linebackers are Barr and Kendricks on paper. That's fine. And then the cornerbacks are Hughes and Hill and Gladney. And we didn't know whether or not Anthony Harris was going to be any good. So he was a starting safety. And I just don't well, know. Harris, Harris, Harris on the was coming off, tag, coming off an all pro season. He was coming off. Yeah. yeah an and the reason year. he didn't get a long-term deal is because he had one year. That's but that fair. was, he was coming off that year. Harris, <laughs> that was unbelievable I, I, I agree. In I agree. It was an incredible yeah. year. It was a phenomenal year. Right. I agree. But it's, it's one year and it's at safety, right? Like that's, 
I, I just feel like it's fair to be like, I don't know if he can do it again. They didn't give him a yeah, long term. It was deal fair to be reason. uncertain, but I think he was his like on paper, his yeah, outlook I'm, was positive, and then yeah, right, yeah, he, yeah, it was it was positive. Yeah. But I would say I would say you've got an elite safety in Harrison Smith, and then I would have projected Anthony Harris as an above average safety, right? And then you pair that with a secondary that's completely new. There's no mm-hmm. understanding this defense, right? Uh, with Mike Hughes, Holton Hill, Jeff Gladney, and then maybe Cameron Dancer, the guy that at the combine ran like a four six eight or whatever it was, right? Like, like, you know, it's that 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 cornerback group and that defensive tackle group was really worrisome. We didn't know if Neil Hunter would play. Um, I think the 2020 on paper defense looks worse than the 2023 because you've got like, you know, Byron Murphy, right? You've got, you know, Marcus Davenport. I don't know what his on paper looks like for you, but I think it looks fine. Right. And then you've got Daniel Hunter, who uh, I mean, and Gakwe like, isn't it? I mean, it's you sure. could like kind of that comes out in the wash. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but I like that defensive tackle group a lot better, right? I like the, I mean, maybe I like the linebacker group a lot less, but the cornerback group, I think I'm just a little bit more confident in. Um, yeah, I just, I, I feel like on paper, there are a lot of concerns about this defense. I would say I was more concerned about the 2020 defense. And that 2020 okay. defense was 27th in yards, 29th in points. And we had right to be concerned. Luke Braun. Uh, and allowed more points in 2020. Oh no, not quite. Just barely allowed more points in 2013 than 2020. The most points allowed the Vikings have ever had was actually in 1984, the Les Steckel year. Uh, I right don't then. know how that one goes on paper because obviously that had... Yeah, let's uh, rattle off some names. I mean, that still had Matt Blair and Fred McNeil and guys that we kind of thought were supposed to be uh, pretty good. Like Carl Lee was still there. Like we had some dudes on that one, but it was that's, the last yeah, couple of year. That's a defense, um, man. But that was the worst result. Uh, if you wanted to go with like the cheaty answer, you could probably go with like 1961 or 1962, where the only player worth anything on that on those defenses were Jim Marshall and the rest of them like legitimately shouldn't have been in the NFL. I mean, they were like bartenders. And, and very soon um, they weren't. I mean, it was an expansion. Yeah. yeah. Like the, those were guys that they literally just needed some bodies and they like weren't actually NFL players. So you could probably go with that, but that feels like cheating. I'm going to go with 2002. Let me read this off to you. Kenny All Nixon, right. Fred Robbins, Chris Hoven, Lance Johnstone. There is your Chris defensive Hoven. line. <laughs> Linebackers. Was that Nick was... Rogers, a sixth round rookie. Uh, Greg, uh, just making sure that that wasn't Chris Hogan's rookie year because I think his rookie year on paper no. we expected more of him. So this is his no, third this was year, the last year he was a Viking. Yeah. So on, so we're already he was, upset with him on paper. Yeah. Got it. This, cool. this was end of of rookie deal, and then he went to Tampa. Uh, Greg Beaker at thirty three years old, and Henry Crockett. There's your linebackers. Rookie Brian Williams, a fourth round draft pick. So we have an Caleb Evans thing going on. Eric Kelly is the other corner, and then Corey Chavis and Ronnie Bradford at 32. There is Corey your defense Chavis. on paper. Hey, what's yeah, up, Corey there's, Chavis? <laughs> there's some names. There's a couple of names that you're like, I remember that guy, but I don't remember if he was good. That's uh, where I'm at. <laughs> and a bunch of guys that I've never even like paid attention to. I mean, Corey and that Chavis, was the first I... year of the Mike Tice disaster defenses. That team went eight and eight and missed the playoffs. My, Corey, my gosh. Wait, 2002? Old. 2002 was uh, yeah. it's like six and ten, weren't they? Oh, you're right, six and ten. Yeah, yeah. and this and listen to these sack totals. Top this, ten this offense, for... by the way, and six and ten. That's that's Mike Tyson. Yeah, man. yeah. Um, call Pepper Moss. Let's call up Nate. Let's ask him about it. Sack leader was Lance Johnstone <laughs> with seven as a hey, team. It's like you're <laughs> 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 yeah. 
they had 24, 25 sacks as a team. That's so bad. That's pretty bad. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say this about Corey bad. Chavis. He did make a Pro Bowl the next year in 2003. And oh, nice. I think kind of deservedly so. He had like eight interceptions. Um, but he was he was playing all right for Arizona when the Vikings signed him then. I remember that because uh I was like, hey, this guy is like doing a lot of draft work, and I know he's a former Viking. Let me like dig into him a little bit. And he was actually all right, made one Pro Bowl in his career. It wasn't like he was like a Hall of Famer or anything like that. Um, but mostly I'm just gonna remember him for being extremely generous with his time and talking about obscure draft picks with me. So nice. Corey Chavis, good dude in my experience. Um, I dislike this defense a little more than 2020 because I don't think the secondary is really that that improved. In fact, I'm not sure that like Bynum Who, versus Anthony Harris. Which is... cornerback is better than than Byron Murphy on the 2020? Okay, okay. Fair. Burt Murphy is the best of all the options. Um, but also, I mean, we weren't we had not given up on Mike Hughes yet, right? This was his third year and allegedly healthy. Some of us um, and one yeah, of them, some, some of us may have given up on him. He missed a year with the knee. He missed a whole year with his knee, and he had not been too bad that year either. Like I think people were still I, like, I was okay. okay, I will be honest. I was spitting positives on him. Um mm-hmm. because it, like I was like, hey, if you remove that Dallas Cowboys game, it doesn't look too bad. Yeah, <laughs> I remember the bit I had the on outlier, him, but I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> just go look up if I, you you may find on my Twitter a Mike Hughes thread, and you should just go look at it very closely from that time, from that summer. All right. Um. Yeah. Why don't we do that right is now? It, is it going to go down the annals just like the Ed Ingram thread will? I don't know what you're talking about. So do that. Do that on your off time. Look at it very closely and see if you can find the hidden message. Hidden message? Like the first letter of every tweet in the thread or something. Don't do this on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Would you like Braun to derail this conversation and tell us about Ed Ingram? Ed Ingram, your thoughts? Oh yeah, I did a a long breakdown on Ed Ingram, which was. I wanted to, I've learned a lot about O-line technique in the last week, and I wanted to use Ed Ingram to kind of uh, practice. Show off. Practice. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm probably still wrong about stuff. Um, but yeah, some of the ways that I guess, I, I've been saying for a long time, like Ed Ingram got better over the course of the season, and I, I feel like I can better defend that take now. Um, but basically, the uh, the differences in in like the subtleties of the way he plays you know if you remember you might remember a story in the preseason about ed ingram giving up a sack and then he said like oh i overset on that one um and so like how oversetting happens and like the mistakes that was leading to him oversetting and how if you look at like the him in the playoff game uh how he was a lot more conservative about that when you're in pass protection as a guard you want to prioritize the inside shoulder because it's a longer way around to yes. the outside. Um, and he like, there's a, a really bad QB hit he gave up in the Washington game where he was punching at the outside shoulder with his outside hand from a bad base. He was like leaning, reaching into it, totally ruining his base gets killed inside. Um, and you just see a little bit more discipline about that. And a little bit, he would throw his hands early a lot because his, he's got, he's like the mean streak guy, right? Like he wants to, he wants to, shove everybody off and get a big highlight every time. Um, and 
you see a little bit more patience there. Cause if you throw your hands early, you're setting up whatever counter that D line wants to do is mm -hmm. now easy. You now look exactly like the dummies they practice against. So keeping his hands holstered until a little bit later helps him um, not lose reps in situations that he was losing before helps him stand up to bull rushes better and all that stuff. You know, there's a lot of really gnarly low lights from earlier in the season against Washington, against Miami, Arizona, um, in that kind of stretch where Ed Ingram played really, really poorly. And what led to those, you can see him sort of improve on it over the, and it's like the last like two games of the season. So it's not going to have an outsized effect on um, his production. And who knows if he keeps it up, maybe he picks that habit right back up, you know, after an off season off. Um, but he um he gave yeah, up five he, pressures in that playoff game. Yeah. Okay. I don't care. I'm First, talking about technique and I, no, I understand. I understand. Game. I'm just wondering how much the technique translates. I'm also yeah. I'm also just trying to dump on his argument just for fun. Um, the first nine weeks of the season, Ingram was the worst pressure allower in the league. The last nine weeks, he was only the third worst. So there's hey, there there's it the is. Yeah. All right. yeah, no, I don't care about the the, the no. I I understand what you're talking about this. that like that process matters more in terms of determining kind of future capacity to to look for improvement and, it might not. and help the team. It, he, he might pick up but, those bad habits again, um, right? And and his production well, I mean, might I mean, stay just as bad. Yeah. That's totally possible. Yeah, and the same but thing the, happened the at TJ is Clemmings. To, Clemmings would improve yeah. his technique by the end of the year and then slip back into old. Right. I get what you're saying, and I get you're not saying that Ed Ingram's going to be good, but it is kind of funny to talk about his improvement in technique and then see, you know, hey, he had like a 28.9 pass block, right? <laughs> That's like, oh, yeah, I haven't cared about a PFF O-line grade in like three years. I think that the PFF O-line grades in pass blocking can be helpful. Um, yeah, for me, and this has been my thing with PFF for a while, is that it's it it had become such a crutch in like 2019, 2020 to me that I realized I was just looking up grades. Okay, and I understand. Anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just I think it's that, like, that could be right, that could be wrong. I just don't care. I would rather learn on my own, I, and I'd I, rather I I'd rather that, come up with my own take and be wrong about it than like just copy paste what PFF says, and then it's like then I'm not growing. That, that's totally fair. You're not providing much value as an analyst if that's what you're doing. I get that. Um, the thing that, and, and I understand you're not pushing back against PFF grades generally, but I just want to put no, out I, there yeah. that like apathy, not dislike. Uh, right. I, I just want to put out there that they're right about 95% of the time people isolate, maybe even more people isolate the 5% of the time that they may not be correct. I think in pass blocking, they're more likely to be right than in run blocking. And I think that when you produce uh, a judgment on a player and it doesn't align with the PFF grade, that's an opportunity for you to explain where the differences might come from, but it's a good check on, on what you're doing to see, Hey, my analysis is consistently disagreeing with a PFF grade. I wonder why that is right. And it could be teams are focusing on this player. So his improvements are not showing up. He's getting, you know uh, you know, they're, they're targeting with like, you know, stunts and twists and blitzes. And so his job has actually gotten a little bit more difficult in the PFF. Like there are reasons, yeah. right. That you that's know. a big one for me. But is... I, I think that, you know, it's important to at least check in, in that regard. Absolutely. And I think a big one for me, um, and, and Ingram was targeted in that game, which I, I think is probably fair. Like, hey, other teams, he's like a marked man. That's, that might be a ding, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think for me with, in very, very general now with PFF, um, I think that they, and I, I don't think that they can afford to go to adjust for degree of difficulty of assignment no. with offensive line as much as they they would have to because they're trying to do every single player on every single game and those situations are also different that if they started doing things like hey 
you know, that guy had a double team up to a backside linebacker and that's a little harder versus, you know, a, a hinge block or something like they do some of that. But I think if they really incorporated as much of that as there exists into their system, their system probably that would probably introduce more noise than it's worth. And but like me, I'm not trying to do every player on every play. I'm just watching Ed Ingram right now. So I can look at I can kind of point that stuff out and quantify it how you ever want to quantify it. Okay. Final note before we move on, Sam. Sorry about this. Uh, is that um, I will say that for assignment, generally speaking, they do a pretty decent job of adjusting their grade for difficulty of assignment. And by that, I mean their job on the play, not who they're playing against. They never adjust for like, hey, you're playing Aaron Donald. You gave up nine pressures. Sorry, that's a bad grade. Um, they don't do that, right? Which I'm perfectly comfortable with. We just have to do yeah, that. Yeah, there's the ourselves. mathematical but, argument for that is because it, right. it would be trained on its own self. And exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and to make it iterative, and it, it's really tough. Yeah. Um, possible, tough. Um, they, they do do a pretty decent job of saying, hey, you're pass blocking on the far side of a, of a bootleg and a rollout. Your job is not that difficult. So Right, yeah. They do like the like, right. really so very basic, basic versions yeah. of it. Yeah, right. Uh, and in order to kind of extract themselves, at least from a pass protection standpoint, from all of that, from saying, hey, this is like a really complicated, they do do the true pass set thing, right? Where they look at your grade on true pass sets, which is just basically basic drop back passes um, right. that they not take out like play action. And yeah, and, yeah. Um, they get rid of quick game and stuff like that. Uh, and in that, Ed Ingram still looks really bad. So um, there's, I, right. I don't know, there's just something. And- there that's kind of worth you know contrasting with and saying hey if these technical improvements are real and it sounds like they are right and like i had to do the same thing when i was breaking down matt clue all, all, all the way back right um it's why why do they not you know produce the kind of results as far as we can measure results using an external grading system and that's a good conversation doesn't mean you're wrong yeah. or right if if ed ingram continues to struggle which is very possible then the next step goes, okay, let's watch and see. Is he still doing those things correctly? And is there something else he was doing wrong that I just missed? Okay. Or is he not doing those things correctly anymore? He slipped back into old habits. Both of those things can be informative. And I and yeah, and I, I want to be abundantly clear. No part of that entire Ed Ingram thing. I did a podcast episode on it. I did a Patreon piece on it. There are no predictions in any of it. I'm not predicting anything. I'm just showing you, hey, look, here's some offensive line technique stuff. How about... And and check out yeah check out Bron's work Patreon on Ed Ingram. How about this for a take to to put a bow on this? Ed Ingram was no worse than Ezra Cleveland down the stretch. Ezra had a horrible playoff game. He and and Bradbury were at the wrong end of most of the Dexter Lawrence legend yep. in that one. Ed Ingram got Leonard Williams. Ezra had some blow up games, and had, the third yeah. most pressure was a lot. Deal. He he would like. He would be like pretty good, and then he would have like one like against Washington, just the worst game. Washington was brutal. Oh, it was that brutal? Like, the, yeah, he, and yeah. then he would like play pretty well for a few, and then like t- totally. Explode. So I would actually He's somebody argue, I want to look into. Uh, I would argue like, that obviously the playoff game matters, but I would argue um, playoff game aside, right? You know, aside from yeah. that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Um, that Ezra Cleveland was actually better than Ed Ingram from a technical perspective. I don't know numerically from a technical perspective. Um, and from a um, from a trace perspective, than Ed Ingram was in the second half of the season. Actually, they were, I think, a little bit closer together in the first half of the season, um, while um, Cleveland was trying to figure out the way the new run blocking scheme was working because it's a little bit different 
um, just enough to screw you up than um, than the wide zone that they were accustomed to. So I would ar- actually argue that on on film, Cleveland looked better. I don't know, maybe on paper, the, the numbers look pretty bad the second half of the season. Um, this is an area where I guess me and PFF do disagree to that point. Um, where, um, or actually his PFF grade the second half of the season wasn't too bad compared to, to Ingram. So maybe we don't, but I would argue that, that Cleveland demonstrated some really high level stuff. Now, I don't think that he's going to be a top level guard, but I think it, yeah, I'm very comfortable in saying that he's average to above average compared to guards across the league right now. Big year for him. Contract year. Mm-hmm. Um, key cog in that offensive line for sure. Um, coming up next whip around of former Vikings. In the headlines, first uh, chance to remind you that we are available on the Sirius XM app. Search Locked on Sports Minnesota. Get all of our shows on Sirius. You can also get the local hometown broadcast like the Twins games. They're at Tampa Bay this week, MLB's best. You can listen tomorrow night, 5.40 p.m. to the hometown broadcast. Just search Twins. Um, all right. Special version of the four-minute drill where we go around the headlines of former Vikings that left in the offseason. Start the clock. It's time to execute the four-minute drill. I'll give the headline. We get one minute to react to each of them, starting with Cam Dantzler. The headline, he's cut. Cam Dantzler is cut in Washington already. Um, Thoughts on – I guess I assumed he would – Kind of last a year somewhere. Um, surprise. I would have thought that too. They yeah. drafted his his replacement in the first round, Emmanuel Forbes. <laughs> but the <laughs> the, the pre June one or the <laughs> they just needed <laughs> needed their new Cameron Dantzler. I I thought it was being spicy when I when I earlier in the offseason I was like I wonder if Cam Dantzler doesn't make the team in August and apparently I was just like still way too high because he's now been cut by two teams. Right. They just, they, they, you know, there's only enough room for one sub 170 pound (laughs) Mississippi State cornerback on this roster. (laughs) Only one podcaster in that secondary. (laughs) Spider Man meme when those two got in the room together. Yeah. Um, All right. Headline number two uh, Herb Smith Jr. is quote unquote entrenched as the Bengals tight end one. Did the Vikings make a mistake? I would be deeply concerned about Irv Smith if he wasn't tight end one in that room. Right. The next well, like Drew Sample. Sample. Yeah. yeah. And then um, Patriots reject Devin Asiasi, who I draft people loved. I remember that. But like Patriots already got rid of him. <laughs> um, yeah. It's more a, a, a product of the room than it is Irv yeah. Smith, you know. And economics. Um, like they, the, the money yeah. they would have had to give him to, to give him a second contract just probably wouldn't have. Yeah, and you know it's uh, the the issues with Irv Smith in Minneapolis, or Minnesota, Minneapolis. In Minnesota, were primarily injury related. Although when he ever he got back from injury, he did not produce in a big way. Um, his, his rookie year was fine when he you know was finally able to see the field. That's great. It's good to bank on. Um, I would imagine, especially in um, in an offense that has those three receivers, and you know, assuming that Joe Mixon plays, um, that running back group. Uh, he's just not going to see that many targets. So it's good for him, but it's probably not going to be very productive. It it does seem like the Vikings have let a lot of players go. And some of them, I totally endorse letting him go to, um, but they've let a lot of players go that could have pretty nice years. 
Like maybe they wouldn't have in Minnesota, but in their new environment, yeah, 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 yeah. they they may have very nice years. Adam Thielen, um, Irv Smith, Duke Shelley. I don't know what his role is going to be. Um, he's he was God not among that Duke. That one I am so interested in. <laughs> I think arrives. Uh, get him to the Pro yeah. Bowl. Oh, what a hundred percent. I yeah. love him so much. Yeah, starting preseason week one, we will have a segment called. Duke Shelley watch. Yeah. Duke Shelley watch. We can come up with a new name for it. Maybe something catchier. Um, but yes, we are going to be tracking Duke Shelley throughout the well, year. If, if, if he starts Promise. and ends up playing horribly, we could just call the segment Shelley get shelled, right? Like that's Oh, there you go. Or how about shell shocked? Ooh. Hmm. Let, let's let's workshop him it. or the Vikings after seeing how well he does. I'll I'll try to get some one of the uh, the big voice guy to do uh, one of these animated. Ooh yeah, ooh, the possibilities. Uh, Patrick Peterson is taking Joey Porter Jr. under his wing. Why would we be needed. surprised? That I would expect that. I'd be disappointed. Like, have to draw Patrick Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> what he does for your young corners. Remember when he looked Dane Mitsutani in the eye and he just said, "I'm a leader." And then I'm he a didn't, born leader. I'm a born leader. I'm a born and leader. He didn't say anything for like 10 seconds. You bring that guy into your locker room, he better take Joey Porter Jr. under his wing. Yeah. Otherwise, what's yeah. the point? Um, no, I mean, I would I would expect that. And and Peterson is always very generous with his like uh knowledge and his time and his wisdom. Um, he revels in it, in fact, which is fine. Um, but uh yeah, not surprising. Um, you know, you'd hope for it and it's always good for a player to have multiple influences of Hall of Fame level talents. Um, let's, uh, you know, let's let's allow him to mix in some lessons from not just Joey Porter Sr., but also Mike Tomlin and Patrick Peterson and everybody that Pittsburgh has available to them, which is just an embarrassment of riches at this point. Yeah, it's I feel like if if we are looking back at the 2023 draft and we we get to look at our, like a Johnny Flynn, Steph Curry thing and say, whoa, is me and whine about it. I feel like Joey Porter is the most likely guy to do that. All of the post-draft stuff was crying about how we didn't get a quarterback, but not getting Joey Porter. I feel like he's so destined to succeed in, in Pittsburgh. It feels so right. Yeah. It, does. <laughs> it does. If Jordan Addison, it doesn't. Yeah, I, that's, that's the most like, uh, there's probably another one, but off the top of my head, that's the most. By God, I hope he makes it out of the first two rounds. Yeah, right. Yeah, if anybody, in if the he draft, doesn't, like, if he like busts out, yeah, that is the biggest bummer right. of all time. Right. Like it's like Anthony Richardson could flame out, but whatever. Like I hope he does well. But if he does, yeah. I'm not but it's be, like there was. We no. knew that there could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's like Bryce Young. Well, I mean, he's a child. It's fine. Right. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I get it. Joey Porter Jr. Like, come on, man. This is destiny. We can't. <laughs> Although if, if Will if Will Levis like blows up in Tennessee and becomes an All Pro, I mean we're not going to hear the end of it. No, which you know what? Fair. You're right. Yeah, that's the risk they took. I'll take my L. Didn't three quarters of us project Joey Porter Jr. to be the pick too? Like we all wanted him. I was uh, saying, like on yeah. live stream. I was like Joey Porter. He's there. Oh my god, pick him. Yeah. Jordan yeah. Addison would be cool too. And then they yeah yeah yeah. Uh, last one. Eric Hendricks, new Charger. Ranked as the number 12 linebacker in the league per PFF. Uh, too high, too low, just right. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's fine. I don't know. It's, it's a preseason ranking. <laughs> PFF is probably taking a look at the last three years of Eric Hendricks' data, applying an age curve and saying this is probably where he's going to end up. And the prior two years before this last year were quite good. 
and so having him appear 12th at, even after applying some like age, you know, um, magic or whatever, that all makes sense. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it's nice that he's back in LA. I'm really happy for him. It seems like that he really wanted to, if he wasn't going to be in Minnesota, be in LA. Um, 12th best linebacker in the league is kind of a lot, but I don't know. The mm-hmm. league doesn't really have like a ton of good linebackers right now. So sure. I actually, I'm really curious what I ranked him. Um, it's very forgiving of his uh, 2022, which is, I mean, it is. a reason yeah. to be forgiving of that. Uh, let me my, see. My take would be that he has the least left in the tank of a lot of the guys that walked. Just my thought. Um, okay. I'm taking a look at real bad news to have him go into another Fangio style scheme. I think. No, that's not do it. linebacker. Right. That was really bad for him. And now he's like still in it. Mm-hmm. Let's see what I got. Hold on. Best linebackers in the NFL 2023 by Arif Hassan. Let's see where he put him. Uh oh. Yeah. Uh. Well, not in the top ten. Tell you that much. Uh, fourteen. See, that makes wow. sense. You're in lockstep right. with PFF. Uh, evidently, it's because right, right below him was like Devondre Campbell, which I think is a fairly similar story, right? Last year, huge drop off relative to his most recent seasons. But Eric Hendricks has a longer career of playing well. Which Devondre Campbell is like the one all pro season and one pretty decent season. Uh, then CJ Mosley, kind of a similar story. Then Devin White. I'm, I'm a, does this, is this Devin White truther? I don't know how to put it, but I'm not a huge Devin White guy, but I think he's a little bit better than the analytics say. So I put him in 17th. Then Foya Luakun. Um, I never know how to pronounce this guy's name. Bobby Wagner. Okereke? No. What? Wagner's above him. Bobby Okereke? Because every time I pronounce it, someone's like, actually, his pronunciation is this. And it's like, oh, well, that's what I used like three pronunciations ago. Okereke. Uh, sure. Is it actually? I don't know. Sure. Uh, and then 20 is like Quincy Williams. And like, that is generous. That If I did this again, I might put him lower. But like... Yeah, it, there's not a ton of great linebackers in the league right now. So that's part of it. Hmm. Um, we thank our everydayers for tuning into the Minnesota football party throughout the week. Comment below which Minnesota Vikings departure will they regret the most? Uh, Arif Hassan and Luke Brown will be back on Thursday in the Minnesota football party. Tomorrow, Arif Hassan, or check that, not Arif Hassan, Luke Inman <laughs> joins the show. Basically the same person. Uh <laughs> Make sure you tune in then. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube for free. And we will talk to you throughout the week on the Minnesota Football Party. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Arif. And I'm Sam Ekstrom saying goodbye for today on Locked on Sports Minnesota. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked on Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 